Tappers, what's up? It is the Tuesday edition of the Daily Tap. Hope you're doing well. Got a good show today. We will be breaking down the Bucks and the Hawks Eastern Conference Finals. Little tale of the tape, if you will. Uh, we did that for the Nets Bucks series with Mitch. We also did it with the Bucks and Heat. Since Mitch and I taped yesterday, your boy will be taking you through. So we will go through all of that. And that will probably be the show today. I know we've been kind of doing this, right? Or we're just kind of doing one segment. And I don't know. I, I think that there's just not a ton to talk about, obviously, with the Packers. And the Milwaukee Brewers are just kind of slogging around uh, along. I'll maybe mention them at the end, um, just in terms of... Yeah, this has been kind of a frustrating sort of few weeks, I guess, for the Brewers. They're just not really making that run I think we hope to expect. So maybe we'll do a little Brewers at the end. Um, obviously, I, I have some opinions. <laughs> so we'll talk about that. But we obviously want to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks getting ready to face the Atlanta Hawks on Wednesday night at the Serve Forum. The Hawks beat the Philadelphia 76ers in Philly on Sunday night in one of the more shocking uh, results that I think we've seen this playoffs. I know this playoffs has been full of shocking results, but the fact that Atlanta was able to go into Philly and win yet again is fucking incredible and deserves a lot of credit. And this upstart Atlanta team, there are some who believe that Atlanta can win a championship and can get to the championship. And that's crazy to me. And it, it's not crazy in the sense that I'm denigrating Atlanta. I'm not pushing Atlanta to the side and saying the Bucks have a cakewalk. It's rather just where this thing started. I There's a tweet, and if you want to find it, you can. I'm not going to look for it. I'm not going to tell myself. But there's a tweet where Zach Lowe had a piece before the, seat, before the playoffs started where he said the Hawks could win the NBA Finals. And I, I think I tweeted out, like, are you kidding me? Like, I was like, are we really doing this? Like, uh, so the fact that the Hawks have done this is incredible. They deserve a ton of credit. Um, they they are a very spunky bunch. As Mitch said yesterday, they're a young team. They don't kind of know better. They don't know that they are supposed to be here. Uh, but they are here. And they are ready to try to take down the Milwaukee Bucks and continue this sort of dream season. Uh, the Hawks have this feel of a team of destiny, right? And as as you'd see in the NBA, that, that doesn't really happen, right? You see it in baseball. Um, I think the Washington Nationals kind of had that vibe a couple years ago, right? Where they beat the Brewers on some ridiculous play that we don't need to go back to, which kind of I think is forgotten in Brewers lore about Trent Grisham misplaying that ball. And then they beat the Dodgers in five. They beat the St. Louis Cardinals, I think, rather easily. And then they beat the uh, dominant Houston Astros team to win the World Series. Little did we know the Houston Astros were cheating at the time. So it made it even bigger. It amplified it even more. And that was the Washington Nationals. We've seen it in football with the New York Giants in 2007 just getting on their crazy run. Or the Baltimore Ravens is another, are another example. Even the Green Bay Packers, 2010. Packers were a six seed. The fact they got hot and they beat Atlanta, which is ironic, and got hot and made it to the playoffs without having a home game. So we see it all the time in other sports. We just don't see it in basketball. It's very rare 
that a team sort of goes on this kind of run. And it's up to the Bucks now to end it. Um, and for the Bucks to get to their first NBA Finals since 1971. And to have a real opportunity to bring a title back to the city of Milwaukee. And if you heard Mitch and I on Sunday, I mentioned how all these breaks the Bucks caught at the end. And Joe Harris missing shots. And Kevin Durant's foot being on the line. And... You know, James Harden hitting a bank three and not having the game be over. Drew Holiday finding himself late. All that stuff is not supposed to happen to the city of Milwaukee. Just hasn't. It's usually the inverse, right? It's usually that everything that goes wrong will go wrong. So it didn't happen. And so I myself am wondering, are there some dynasty, not dynasty, I shouldn't say that, but are there some just special things happening right now with the Milwaukee Bucks that are unlike what we've what we've seen what we've seen in the past. And so that that to me is what I'm I'm curious about. But let's kind of dive into the Bucks and the Hawks in general in terms of the matchup and talk a little bit through the different sort of key players and key elements of this series. Starting off in terms of where I think this series begins is really with Drew Holiday. Um, I think Drew Holiday is the key to this series, honestly. Uh, the matchup that he has with Trey Young will be one to watch. It will be the matchup to watch, in my opinion. Holiday only faced off against Young once this year. Uh, Trey Young was rested in games three and one when he, they played the Milwaukee Bucks this season. But. Trey Young in that game went three for seventeen, while Holiday scored twenty three points. Uh, Trey Young was put in the torture chamber in that one game. Now it's just one game. You're like, that's a small sample size, but Drew Holiday has had success against these smaller guards. Uh, we he's been, he was great against Dame Lillard, if you remember in the New Orleans Portland series, where Holiday sort of established himself as this playoff guy. Now obviously. That has changed this year where he's had a little bit of Eric Bledsoe disease. Uh, but so I do think you are going to have Drew Holiday being relentless on Trey Young, and it will be the hardest defender that Trey Young has faced. I mean, he, he got to have Derrick Rose. He had to have a collection of Knicks players that weren't ready to guard him. For Philly, it was Terrence Maxey, maybe. Danny Green was terrible and he got hurt. Um, Ben Simmons really didn't go on him that much. I mean, he did at times, and it really affected him. But he he kind of didn't have that one guy that was in his grill the entire time. Drew Holiday is that dude. So I expect Drew Holiday to really flourish. Like I expect Drew Holiday to maybe be the star of this, this uh, series because I think he's going to do it on defense, and I think he's going to get his opportunities offensively because Young can't guard anybody. And Holiday should be able to get to the lane. Holiday should be able to attack the rack. And I really think Drew Holiday should should kind of pull back on the threes. Like, I really hope that Drew Holiday is going to just attack the rim. I get it. I know he's a decent shooter from three. But it, it wasn't falling. And I know it fell late. But it hasn't fall, fell for him in this entire playoffs. So, it might be prudent of him to just kind of take it to the lane bring back the mid-range we've seen it with chris middleton we've seen it with the phoenix suns like why can't holiday have a little bit of a mid-range game in his own right because i think that might be needed offensively 
here's a question that I have about Trey Young going back to him. Do we want P.J. Tucker to get into the head of Trey Young? Like, do we think that's a good idea? I think so. I, I do worry that Trey Young kind of uses that type of stuff as motivation. But I do think P.J. Tucker is a different animal. He's a dog, man. And I don't know who P.J. Tucker is going to go against. I don't know if he's going to pick up Herter. I guess he picks up Bogdanovich. But if Bogdanovich is hurt, I guess Herter would be the guy that P.J. would pick up. And I, I think Herter is going to be in a world of hurt. I, I do not think Kevin Herter is ready for P.J. Tucker. And I think you'll get some P.J. Tucker, Trey Young moments. I don't think it'll be uh, a consistent thing. But I do think you're going to send P.J. Tucker at Trey Young a couple times to beat the shit out of Trey Young. Because I do think that will happen. So I expect a P.J. PJ Tucker, Trey Young kerfuffle. I think the Vegas odds have that as a game two thing. Um, but yeah, you'll see those two guys bump, bump chest to chest. Don't, don't be surprised. That's, that's going to happen. Um, definitely will be a part of it. Last thought on Trey Young, and then we'll move to Giannis. It, you know, the foul stuff, we saw it with Harden, right? Where Harden got, what, three or four calls because he just moved his head. And Trey Young loves to do that shit too. It's infuriating. I think it's what a lot of people hated about Trey Young. I know I was one of them. Um, I hated the fact that he just, all he did was complain. It felt like he would complain and complain to officials. I do agree with the masses that we've all sort of had this renaissance view of young but he still does the head fake bullshit that Harden does let's hope the league is a little more acclimated to it if they're seeing it for the last few few series and it maybe they don't give it to him that would be great but you know he's gonna get at least one you just gotta ride it out it's gonna be frustrating as long as the foul shots are even and it feels like it's an evenly called game. I'm not going to worry too much about a couple free throws for Trey Young. Now that could come back to bite me very much, but that's okay. Let's talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo. So Giannis Antetokounmpo should have the opportunity to attack both John Collins and Clint Capella. It'll be interesting to see what they do with Giannis, whether they go with John Collins or they go with Clint Capella. You can make the case for both, right? Clint Capella might not be fast enough for Giannis, but he's big enough like he's big enough to you know alter Giannis's shot and make it difficult for Giannis in the lane but I think Giannis can blow right past Clint as for John Collins John Collins is fast enough to keep up with Giannis but he's not big enough to hang with him down by down by the rim so there's there's the fundamental problem right now with the Hawks I think you'll go Collins because that means that Capella would be on Brook Lopez um, which could nullify what Brooke wants to do. But Giannis should attack these guys. Giannis should go after both. I think both, you get both in foul trouble. The Hawks have no depth. They have good size right now, but they have no depth. So Giannis should take full advantage of that. I think the comment from Kevin Durant after the game, they kind of did a sounds of the game, the Bucks social media did, and Durant tells Giannis, go get your one, go get, your, go get it. Like, do this. Like, Durant gave him words of encouragement after the game. And to hear that from the guy that you think is the best player in the world has to mean something. I think you're going to have a massive Giannis series. I I truly believe that this will be a narrative-changing series for Giannis Antetokounmpo. Because I think what happened in, in the Brooklyn series is going to propel him for this series. We'll talk a little bit about fatigue here at the end. 
But I, I think you're going to have a massive Giannis series. And I think as long as you just keep attacking Capella and Collins, you'll be all right. Um, and, and who knows? Maybe because you have Capella and Collins, maybe there'll be less of a wall because you don't necessarily feel like you need it. Uh, we'll see what happens. But I do think that Giannis can get, have his way with the, the Collins and Capellas of the world. As evident of the last game they played, Giannis had 34-14 and 14 in the first uh, well, he was fully healthy in Game 1, not healthy in Game 2, was healthy in Game 3. But Game 1's a wash because Trey Young didn't play. So I'm not going to not gonna quote you on stats in that one for sure. Uh, the other thing the Bucks have to do is offensively they need to attack when you have different bad Hawks defenders on the court. One of the things the Sixers did not do is really sort of lay the hammer down when the bad defensive players were in for the Hawks. And the Hawks have a variety of them. Right now their defensive rating is pretty good, which we'll talk about in a little bit here. Um, I have a few few other topics I want to get through, but I do want to talk about their defensive rating. Uh, but they, the Bucks offense needs to spring to life. You have Bogdan, who doesn't really defend. Trey Young can't guard a sneeze. Danilo Gallinari is not only was a bad defender a few years ago. Now he's added, I think, 15 pounds, and he's even worse defender. Lou Will's terrible. So you have four guys that are really bad defenders. And if you have four guys that are terrible defenders, you have got to take advantage when there are multiple of them on the court. When the, there are multiple on the court, those are moments where the Bucks need to win. The Bucs need to win those moments. And if they win those moments and they can get on a run or they can get hot, this might not be a series. And so those type of those type of moments are important. And they need to be hunting, guys. They need to be hunting Danilo Gallinari. Like if Danilo Gallinari is on, on Chris Middleton, Chris Middleton should get the ball every fucking time. If Drew Holiday is on, on Lou, or Lou Williams is on Drew Holiday, Drew Holiday should be getting the ball every time. If somehow, some way, Danilo's on Giannis, Giannis should just absolutely murder him. Like the fact of the matter is, is these guys are very bad defenders, and they have not been exposed yet. Fuck it, let's talk about the defense now. Because so the Hawks right now have a top five defensive rating defense. Bucks right now are number one. Um, they're allowing about a hundred points per possession. Hawks are a little bit worse, but they're still pretty good. I think they're at one hundred two. But are we sure that's not fraudulent? Are we sure that that's not a little bit misleading? So you think about the two offenses they've faced. Philadelphia 76ers, who actually rate pretty well. They're fourth. But they, they've they been awful in the fourth quarter. They've slogged everything down. And it just has not worked. And then the New York Knicks, whose offense you know, became a fossil because Julius Randle couldn't do anything in the postseason. So... Are we sure Atlanta's defense is good? Or is this just kind of a fraudulent thing for the Hawks? And the rooster will come to roost come Wednesday night and be like, oh yeah, this Hawks team does not really play that good of defense. We'll see. That's really interesting to kind of note as a nugget, as something to think about if you're wagering on this game, if you're thinking through what's transpired. There's a case to be made for A, the Bucks minus seven, but B, the over as sort of a sneaky little, you know, kind of pivot or zag, if you will. Other thing to talk about the Hawks is this needs to be remember. This needs to be reinforced, and I feel like there are people who are enforcing it. I think there are other people who are not 
being honest with themselves, that the Hawks are a better offensive way, a better offense away from being out of the playoffs in five games. Not just seven games, five games. If it's not for two Philly collapses, we are not talking about this series. We're talking about the Bucks headed to Philadelphia on Wednesday night. Hell, I actually think they would have played Monday if Philly would have won in five. Like, I think the, the series would have started Monday, which would have been terrible for the Bucs. Um, would have been would have chalked that up to a loss. That would have been as easy of a round one loss as you or a round three loss as you were going to get. Because the Bucks, I'm sure, are still licking their wounds. I'm sure they're still trying to recover and get ready for Game One uh, tomorrow night. But they, but the Sixers didn't do that. The Sixers lost in seven, and they lost in seven because they could not do anything offensively in the fourth quarter. It was terrible, and Philly should be ashamed of themselves. And if so, that to me is like I know. You could say what you will about the Hawks' destiny, the Hawks' resilience, all this other shit. But it's it's not necessarily true. It's just it was the Sixers kind of got tight at, at the wrong times. And it's important that the Bucks don't get tight. It's important the Bucks put the foot on the throat. I think that's the biggest takeaway from these two Philly collapses is it, nobody, I do not want to hear one Bucks Twitter weirdo say, Oh, uh, why is Giannis on the court? It's we're up twenty, we're up twenty-five. Why is Giannis on the court? I will screenshot each of the game five and game seven, or I'm sorry, game four and game five screenshots, and I will say, all right, this is why they're on there. They want to make sure Atlanta is dead, dead before they're taking you know their top guys off the court, because that to me would be a grave dis- mistake after what Atlanta has already shown you they're capable of doing. One of the other things I'm wondering about is Bogdan Bogdanovich. So Bogdan has a knee injury. They don't really know what it is. They're not really talking about it. He only played 21 minutes in game game seven. And I'm starting to wonder, should he even really play before game three? Think about this. And they could basically put him on ice for a week. They could say, you are not playing in games one or two, and you're going to start again in game number three. And if the Hawks look at what the Bucs did, and they went up 2-0, uh, the Utah Jazz, remember, went up 2-0, and then, then they were beaten four by the Clippers, and the Clippers won in six. Could the Hawks basically say, it's a weird year, it's an uneven year, teams are winning even though they're up 2-0, it doesn't really matter. Could we go down 2-0, because I, I do think Milwaukee is supremely better without Bogdanovich in the lineup. Could we get... Could we get you know that and try to steal one back, or at least rest him for game one and get him ready for game two, and maybe limited minutes in game two and a full ramp up in game three, because this is the time to rest him. He's had a couple days off before their game. They've had two days off instead of the Bucks three, and then it's going to be every other night going forward. So. I don't know if it makes sense to play Bogdan in, in game number one. I don't think that would be the recommended thing if I were a Hawks fan. I know I get the idea, right? Bogey's been great for them. And I do have nightmares that Bogey has like six threes in a game and buries the Bucks. But right now that knee injury, he really can't play. And so he does need rest. So we'll see. We'll see if they do rest him in game, game one. And then we'll see if he's back for game number two. Because his... His knee's an issue, and they I don't think they can have him gutted out. I think they're going to need to give him a night off in, in one of these games. 
couple other got things I want to talk about. Uh, I think Bobby Portis is going to have a say in this series. I know Bucks Twitter was kind of angry that Bobby didn't get any time against Brooklyn. Uh, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that they wanted to put do have Giannis go small, and so when Giannis went small, that meant Pat Connaughton had to come in, and it really didn't leave a spot for Bobby Portis. Now with Clint Capella and John Collins, I think Bobby Portis should have a say. He's had some nice games against the Hawks. He had, I think, a 11-8 against Atlanta this season. So I think Bobby's going to have a set. And I think Bobby's going to be motivated to make a statement. I hope that Portis doesn't try too hard when he's out there. Um, because I don't want him to get wrapped up in the fact that he was benched down down the stretch against Brooklyn. I This is just a more of a series for Bobby than, than the last one. And I expect him to have have a big big moment or two in this series. I do also want to push back on the idea that the Bucks don't have a bench. Heard that a little bit uh, yesterday and I know the Bucks only played like six guys on Saturday, Sunday or game six and game seven. And it's kind of ironic that people are like, well, the Bucks don't have a bench. It's like, isn't this what you fucking people wanted? Isn't this what you people wanted when you when you said, oh, Mike Boonos, or he, he plays too many bench guys. He plays too many bench guys. He should only play starting five. He should be, play six guys. And now it's like he does that. He makes that adjustment. And now it's like, oh, wait, we don't really have, the Bucks don't really have a bench. Send the tank. It's ridiculous. But I, I do want to point out, like, here's the thing. Bryn Forbes had a huge role in round one. Bryn Forbes is one of the reasons the Bucks won in, in round one. I think Pat Connaughton played a really big role in, in round two. Like, even if he didn't score, I think the small ball lineup with Connaughton was an eye-opener. And I think he was really active on defense. I think he had some moments. Yes, sometimes his three was a little broke, but that's okay. That happens. It happens to the best of us. And could this round three be Portis? Could this be Portis? Could the bad perimeter defense of the Hawks, could that mean Bryn Forbes is this guy? It's all very possible here. So I'm not ruling ruling that out that the bench has another moment in them because I think they do. I don't think this is a bad bench. I think it's just, it's not necessarily a consistent bench and it's not one guy that's coming off the bench and making a splash. Lastly, what will game one look like? I'm very fascinated to see what game one ends up being like just because the Hawks have won game one in their first two series. Can they do it again? Will the Bucks have enough rest from the last series? Do will the Bucks not be hung over? I do worry about that emotionally. Like, will they kind of have an emotional letdown? I think it actually helps the Bucks that they're playing at home. Because I don't think the crowd will let the Bucks be hung over. I think maybe you'll see it in the first quarter. Like I, if I was first quarter Murph, I would not bet the Bucks. Um, but I think by by quarter two, the Bucks will start feeling that crowd and they'll start getting fired up. And getting ready to take game one. Uh, but it be a fight. Um, I'm not taking Atlanta lightly at all. I know Atlanta's capabilities. Um, and so be very interested to see what happens. I do think from a prediction standpoint, you guys are going to say, wow, this is a huge contradiction. But I have the Bucks in five. I, I think that even though I'm not taking Atlanta lightly, I think the Bucks are just a better team. And I think that after playing Brooklyn, this is going to look like a cakewalk. And I said that that Nets-Bucks series was the NBA Finals. And it 
fucking looked like it, right? And so I think now you're going to see the Bucks sort of emerge. And I'll give Atlanta a game because it happens, right? It's just bound to happen. But I, I will say the Bucks win in five, and they go back to the NBA Finals for the first time since 1971. All right, let's talk a little bit about the Brewers, and then we'll ride out of here. So the Milwaukee Brewers lost to the Arizona Diamondbacks. If I was smart, I should have seen this coming because the Diamondbacks have lost 17 straight games, okay? Diamondbacks have been awful. They've been one of the worst. They are the worst team in baseball. They're not one of the worst. They are the worst team in baseball. And when you lose 17 straight games, you have this desire to win, win. Like, you are just, you're hell-bent. You're like, we have to get a win. So I think the fact that there was such a sense of urgency with the Diamondbacks, I should have seen coming. And I, I didn't know Brett Anderson would go down with an injury. He's likely going on the DL uh, per Craig Council. I have no idea who the Brewers are going to call up. Jay Cousins, who was impressive yesterday, was their 49th player already this season. It's absolutely wild. And for the Brewers themselves, um, I think you look at this and you say they're really not taking advantage of a moment in time because the Chicago Cubs are struggling. They lost again last night. Cincinnati Reds aren't really came back down to earth after sweeping the Brewers. I think they've lost five of their last six or some three of their last four. Lost on a walk off last night. Um, they're struggling. So the Brewers could easily be pushing this lead out to two or three games and instead. They're just letting everybody hang around. And they played a Colorado team who good at home, but they're not that great. They're beatable. And they probably should have won Friday night. Instead, they win Saturday, they win Sunday, which is good. You take a split. But now you've lost one to Arizona. And that's all you should really lose to Arizona. I get Arizona needed a win, right? Like Arizona was desperate for a win. And playing a team like that can be difficult. But now I think you have Peralta and Woodruff on the mound uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. There's no reason Peralta or Woody should lose to this Arizona team. And get yourself ready for Colorado at home on Thursday. And Colorado is an awful road, road team. So you have that going for you. So kind of start to get a little warm here and continue to sort of take advantage because this schedule is not going to get easier. And we'll look back on after July 4th and say, did the Brewers actually take advantage of the schedule or not? I would say at this point, more yes than no. But if, say, they lose two out of three to Arizona, and that means that the road trip they went three and three, I'm going to be pretty disappointed. I'm not going to lie to you because it these are two bad teams, and you need to take advantage of your of your schedule when you face bad, bad squads. And so the Brewers... Not being able to do anything last night was pretty frustrating. I get the sort of adjustment as you're going from Coors to a non-Coors environment. Um, now, Arizona does have, can be a hitter's ballpark, but they've tried to lessen that as the years have went on. So it's a tough one, um, but you have Peralta, you have Woodruff uh, the next two nights. That should bring bridge the gap, and hopefully they are they can kind of pull this out for the rest of the road trip. Just some other quick hitters about the Brewers as we wrap here today. Um, Colton Wong coming back has just been a relief. I hope that that was the last time we saw Colton Wong on the disabled list. Um, he just such a vital part to what the Brewers do on offense and defensively as well. 
But having him at the leadoff spot really helps things um, and really is a fire starter. Uh, Willie Adonis continues to be a revelation. Uh, he had a four-hit night uh, on Saturday, and I think it was his third four-hit night already. The only guy I think who has had more four-hit games in a season was Robin Yount, who had five. Uh, I'm not saying Willie Adonis is Robin Yount, but it there is definitely a awakening, if you will, with Adamas, and it almost feels like David Stearns finally got it right with the shortstops after all the criticisms that we had of him. And look, Luis Urias has not been bad either. I mean, Urias uh, playing third base, which you didn't really expect much from him because he's so bad defensively, but Urias has done all right, and Urias is hanging in there, and so really love to see that from uh, Weicho, and that, that's been good as well. Now, Christian Yelich, you know, it's it's just been kind of a struggle. Like, he's walking, he's doing that. He has a better walk rate than anyone in baseball, but he's not actually, you know, getting on one of those Yelich hot streaks. We just have not seen it. Um, I thought it was interesting, the tongue bath that uh, Bill Schroeder and Matt LaPay gave him yesterday, almost like in defense of Christian Yelich. And it's like, Yelich has had some big hits, uh, but he hasn't really found that power stroke yet. And I don't know when when that is coming. Um, but yeah, it was a weird look for LePay and, and Schroeder, who I like a lot. But it was like, oh yeah, Christian Yelich, we can't you can't expect Christian Yelich to be an MVP every year. I'm like, really? Like what? Like he, at some point, we were having debates like if Christian Yelich was as good as like a Mookie Betts or a Mike Trout. And, and Mookie Betts and Mike Trout, and I know Mike Trout's hurt, but... It, they they bring it every every year. It's not just like two awesome years. So does that mean that the Christian Yelich uh, two year stretch was a little more of a mirage than it was a what you expected in the future? Um, so yeah, Jake. I think I mentioned Jake Cousins, but if I didn't, Jake Cousins awesome in his first game. It's kind of hilarious when uh, that does happen. So Cousins had like two two innings, five strikeouts. He was really good. But the broadcast was like all about it. They were like, Jake Cousins, like, oh, this is such a good performance. Like, this guy's great. I think the Brewers Twitter was like, Pitching Ninja, we need a name for his slider. Like, oh my guys, first, first appearance. I blogged about it because I thought the Kirk Cousins angle was good. But like, let's settle down. It's, it's, one, it's, one, it's one appearance, all right? Like, let's see what Jake Cousins can do as it goes on. And he's facing a trash Arizona team too. So that... That, that has something to, to probably do with it. Um, and Anderson's injury, uh, lastly, it's an issue. Um, now you're going to have Eric Lauer on your rotation. Uh, Eric Lauer was good before he kind of went Dave Bush on us in the sixth inning. Um, I don't feel confident with Eric Lauer on the mound. And I'm curious to know whether... I know the Brewers were going to extend and have Andy Ashby as this long reliever i'm now wondering is andy could you do some sort of piggyback as you used to do with freddie peralta and corbin burns um and kind of have ashby and lauer sort of be a duo if you will uh for the brewers and who knows maybe ashby's the guy that does get called up uh as woodruff or not woodruff excuse me anderson is ready to go down they kind of look alike though uh, Anderson Woodruff. Uh, so we'll see, we'll see what happens. Maybe Castanjera uh, also could get called up. I would be surprised with that, but you never know. Um, I, I feel like Kira's time in the minors is going to be a little more extended than the last one. So we'll see who gets the call uh, with Anderson likely heading to the DL. 
Uh, but yeah, I, I don't really feel great about trusting Eric Lauer every five days. Okay, that'll do it for our show. Uh, take care. Have yourself a good one. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll talk a little more about Bucks Hawks, I'm sure, as well as anything else that comes comes along here in the local uh, sports venue. All right, take care of yourself. Have a good Tuesday. We'll be back tomorrow.